the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. So much of the marketing that I do is going out to hospitals, clinics, you know, any place where I think my clients are going to be frequenting. And I want to speak to them about, you know, how a social security case works because their patients or their clients are experiencing, you know, the fight to get social security that I'm battling every day for them. It's important to their patients or clients that they at least have a general understanding of the process. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? I'm great, Tyson. I'm great. And I'm excited about our guest today. His name is Michael Liner. He's an attorney from Cleveland. We have a whole little contingency in Cleveland. I think if we ever have an actual meetup in face-to-face real-world time, I think we're going to have to do it in Cleveland. What do you think? No-brainer. It's got to be in Cleveland. Not St. Louis, Cleveland. Our guest this week is Michael Liner. He's a Social Security Disability Attorney out of Cleveland, Ohio, as you said. Uh, Michael, you want to tell the listeners about yourself a little bit? Sure. My name, as you said, is Michael Liner. I have a social security disability practice. I started the practice in 2013 on my own. After that, I can't say I started, but I kind of directed the uh, social security practice for a couple of years right out of law school for the largest workers' compensation firm in Ohio. And I started the practice in 2013. At that time, I was Disability is kind of a difficult practice area, and it's one that's evolved quite a bit over the years, not necessarily positive evolvement. When I started in 2011 handling Social Security cases, judges around the country were generally approving 65% of the cases that they heard. And by 2013, and, and this played a role in why I left the firm that I was practicing with, it had turned into the point where the judges were approving only about 30% of the cases. And with the change in approval rates, the law firm that I was working with, which I still have a tremendous relationship with today, there were just too many hands in the pot for each disability case for it to make financial sense for them to continue doing it. So I made the decision that instead of becoming a workers' compensation attorney, I really loved working with my disability clients. I started the practice then and it's just evolved and grown ever since and i'm fortunate to say i really have kind of the practice of my dreams at this point 
Michael, I think you and I both share a couple of similarities. I think one, we both probably are what you would consider volume practices where we're, we're having a lot of cases that take a long time. We're both dealing with federal bureaucracies. And, and I think that, at least for me, I mean, there are not many disability attorneys in St. Louis, and I'm often scratching my head wondering who exactly to send it to. There seems to be like one guy in town that everybody sends it to, but I wonder if that's true in Cleveland as well. So it's interesting that you say that. Just like there, there's a lot of great, young, talented attorneys, entrepreneurial-minded in Cleveland, there's also a lot of great social security attorneys uh, in Cleveland. And for the size of the city, it really is oversaturated, which has been kind of interesting for me. But what's been unique about the growth of my practice is that even though I would say there's probably eight to ten large firms, large high-volume firms handling disability cases in Cleveland, they're slowly phasing out, right? So I was talking about how the approval rate dropped quite a bit in 2013, and it's come back a little bit, nothing like what it was before, but my competitors are literally twice my age, and so most of them are not still in growth mode, and even though they're competitive, they're trying to get cases, they're not as interested in the grassroots, you know, how do I find the perfect place to intersect with my client type marketers that I've become? And so it's been really a competitive advantage for me that when I'm meeting with, you know, potential referral sources, you know, I'm not somebody that's phasing out. I'm somebody that's in growth mode. You know, I, you can work with me for the next 30 years and nobody else that you can meet with in town that's actively handling social security cases can say that literally. If you were to go through a roster of the probably, you know, top 10 volume social security firms in Cleveland, we're probably two or three at this point. But each of those competitors, you know, the age of their partners or, or their, you know, the, the firm owner is probably in their mid-60s or close to it. So it's a real interesting time for me to just be able to be in this growth mode and looking around and nobody else is grabbing for clients the way that we are. But um, trying to do it the right way and being selective with the cases that we take. It is a volume business. I mean, you know, I'm not totally familiar with what the volume is like in an immigration practice, but, you know, we've got over a thousand clients, active cases that we're working on. And so it's tremendous volume, but it can be really rewarding. And I know that that's something that you've discussed a lot is how rewarding your work is. Michael, it seems like you've really entrenched yourself in just the education about social security disability. You speak to a variety of different organizations routinely. Do you want to talk a little bit about how um, that's affected your practice and how you got involved in that? Sure. So, you know, it all kind of arises out of the fact that especially when I was starting off, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a TV budget. I didn't have a radio budget. It was how do I find clients cheaply? And I actually don't even remember what I was reading. I mean, I've consumed so much material over the years, but education marketing from day one was something that I, it just, it works with the type of referral partners that, that I want. And so, so much of the marketing that I do is going out to hospitals, clinics, physical therapy offices, chiropractors, you know, any place where I think my clients are going to be frequenting, and I want to speak to them about, you know, how a social security case works. I'm not trying to make, you know, a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a counselor an expert, 
in the type of law that I do, they don't want to be that. But because their patients or their clients are experiencing, you know, the fight to get Social Security that I'm battling every day for them, it's important to their patients or clients that they at least have a general understanding of the process. So when I, you know, position myself with a new referral partner, I always make it about them. It's never knocking on the door saying, hey, I think that, you know, people that could be my clients are coming in here. I'd like you to refer them to me. The approach has always been, hi, you know, my name is Michael Einer. I'm an attorney that handles, you know, social security disability cases, but I want you to understand I'm not coming to you asking for you to refer me a bunch of clients. What I'm trying to do is position you better with your patients or your clients so that when they come to you with the issues that I help people with, you at least have some understanding. You don't feel like you're, you know, behind the eight ball when they ask you questions about disability paperwork that may be coming into your office or medical records. And it really just works. And what's been amazing to me, and maybe this is just a different mindset of, you know, the the marketers that the marketers that I speak to and, and work with a lot is people aren't approaching the, the, you know, my typical referral sources that way other than me. When I knock on those doors and say, hey, I'd like to, you know, just speak to your staff for half an hour. I'll provide a lunch. I'm not asking you for anything. They love it, and they haven't even had anybody approach them with that type of pitch. Now, of course, what naturally happens is that when I'm, you know, after I speak to them, I've positioned myself as the expert in the community on disability topics. And so whenever it comes, whenever, you know, a, a social security issue comes up, the first thought is call line or legal. Um, but the, the approach is always what, what can I do for you, not what can you do for me? And, and it just works. It connects with people. They don't, they, their guards are down because they, I'm not just, you know, the next salesman coming into the office. Michael, I like the idea of these lunch and learns and re reaching out to referral partners like that. How do you go about identifying the people that you want to offer that to? So in the back of my mind, and I think that I might have hinted at this earlier, and, and I know it's been talked about in other uh, podcasts, I'm always thinking about who is my perfect client and where do they go on a typical day, right? So I've already talked about how, you know, my clients, if you're applying for disability, you're seeing doctors if you've got a case. So doctors, mental health therapists, physical therapists, anybody in the medical profession is a logical referral partner for us. But beyond that, and this is kind of what's evolved, I call it the line of legal toolkit. And if you go to my uh, website, the first thing that you'll see is a video where I explain the line of legal toolkit. To kind of back up a little bit, when I meet with clients for the first time, a question that I almost always get asked when they hear, you know, it takes two years to get social security benefits on average from the time a person applies. How am I supposed to provide for myself during that time? How am I supposed to keep food on my family's table? How am I supposed to keep a roof over my head? You know, I've got creditors calling me because I can't pay my bills. So what we've done, and this is kind of my unique, this is my USP, is we have created this liner legal toolkit of resources where and this plays into your question, I want to have as many intersects with potential clients as possible. So my clients need food stamps. They need homeless assistance. If they don't currently have housing, they need foreclosure assistance. If they have a home that they're at risk of losing, uh, they need to get Medicaid. If they don't currently have Medicaid, uh, they need to you know, be referred to a an attorney that assists with Federal Debt Collection Practice Act claims, FDCPA, 
if they've got mar if they've got you know collections agencies that are targeting them with bills that they can't pay and they're approaching them in a hostile manner. So those are all not only things that my clients need, but potential clients of mine are also going to all those places. I'll tell you a great story. So a couple years ago, and, and this is when I was kind of building my toolkit. I was just screwing around on the internet, and I found that the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, which is an excellent organization, I'm very active in a lot of their different programming, they had 17 case managers, uh, outreach people type, who all they did all day long was sit in an office and file applications online for people for food stamps, county cash assistance, Medicaid, things that my clients need while we're waiting for their case to uh, to hit. And I reached out to them and said, listen, I really need your help. I've got you know all these clients that um, have issues that you can help with. Um, I would really, really, really love it if we could um, work out some type of relationship where I just you know gave somebody a direct number or maybe you can even come into my office once a month and just meet with a lineup of clients of mine and help them sign up for these benefits that they need. And they loved it so much. They said to me, Michael, we'd love to work with you. We're happy to handle, you know, your referrals to us. We get about a thousand calls a month from people. Would you like us to ask them if they're applying for social security disability? So think about that. I went to them thinking, how do I benefit my clients? There's a perfect intersect with what they're doing and what my clients need. And they flipped it around and said, hey, we're going to ask a thousand people a month if they need you know, this resource that you help people get, and then can we refer them to you? Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love, you know, you'd ask 12,000 people a year if they, if they need uh, my legal assistance. Um, and, and, but it was all about how do I help my client um, and where does my client go so that I can intersect with them more and better, and it's been an excellent relationship for my office. So that's just an example. Michael, we have a lot of just awesome guests on the show, a lot of people, very successful attorneys, and you're, you're one of those. But a question I always, I always like to ask is, what is something you struggle with? What is your biggest struggle? What do, you, what do you go to bed at night thinking about whenever you're laying your head down on your pillow? What is that, that, that thing that bothers you when you go to bed? I think the big thing is, like we said, I have this volume practice, and we have so many calls every single day, and it is so hard to keep my clients happy during this two-year wait period where they don't have money, they're losing their home, they don't have a way to pay for food. You know, I live in Cleveland. It's starting to get cold outside, which is a you know very challenging season in the winter for a lot of my clients. We get a lot of desperate calls around this time of year. You know, is my hearing coming up? Can I expect benefits anytime soon? So communication with clients is something that keeps me up at night and trying to perfect that and let them know that we're here to support you. You know, so I would say that that's one big thing. What else keeps me at night? Uh, What else keeps me up at night? I'm not really sure how else to answer that question. No problem at all. We're talking with Michael Liner today of Liner Legal in Cleveland, Ohio. Michael, with a thousand open cases, I would imagine that dealing with a lot of client inquiries and client questions as the cases proceed takes up a lot of time. Can you talk about how you just manage 
a caseload like that? What's your team look like? And sort of how do you do it logistically day to day? Yeah. So I'm very fortunate. You know, one thing that I guess it's part of my story and how I got where I am. I have very severe ADHD. Uh, in fact, I went to a special school growing up in Detroit for children that had ADHD. I was the, such, such a bad kid in school that I was asked not to return to that school. Um, and so my to kind of answer your question, how is it dealing with it? I've always known it was important for me to hire people um, that compensated for my weaknesses. I, we, we have, let's see, five full-time uh, people in the office that are working up our cases. We have a, another attorney in the office that's handling social security cases. And I guess the big thing for me has always been the realization that because of the way that, that I'm limited, I can't focus on things for particularly long periods of time. Um, I need to be hopping around a lot between tasks. I hire people that are good at what I'm bad at. So I guess the most important thing that we do is we always try to manage client expectations right at the outset and let them know what this process is like. We have a lot of clients that will come to us having already been represented by another attorney in the past. And after meeting with me or the other attorney that's in the office here, they'll say to us very frequently, wow, you know, in, in two years of working with this other attorney, I never understood half the things that you just told us. So managing expectations from the beginning is very important. Um, another thing that's very important is, you know, staying in contact with, with our clients during this long process. And in a way that try to, tries to minimize their desperate phone calls to us. So if the average case that we have takes about two years and we've got a high volume of clients, that's a lot of phone calls that we're getting every single day. Um, the rule in the office is we have to have at least one touch with our clients every month, which is not a problem for the first six to eight months of the case when somebody's going through the disability process at the initial level, and then we have what's called the reconsideration level, which is the first stage of appeal. There's enough happening with the case that we're probably communicating with our clients even more than monthly at that point. But once somebody has been denied Social Security a second time and we're waiting for them to have a hearing, there's this just gigantic blank space of about 15 months where realistically there's not a lot happening with the case. We're just waiting for it to get assigned to a judge and then to go to a hearing. And so one thing that we try to do is find points of communication with the client. One thing that's been very helpful to us, just to let clients know that, you know, to keep us in mind and to know that we're thinking about them is we do have a, a monthly client newsletter that goes out now, I don't count that as, you know, a monthly touch just because they're getting an email from us every month with a, a newsletter that we mail to them. I only consider that three of uh, the 12 touches, even though they're getting 12 a month. Instead, so what, you know, what we've developed are different automatic emails that get sent out to our clients where uh, it tells them anytime there, it might be a minor change in the case to what we're doing here in the office. But for example, um, if we see that somebody's case was assigned to a judge or that, um, you know, that new records were exhibited or we received new records, we just try to reach out to them and let them know, hey, I wanted to let you know that there's been this change in your case. And really, it's not a major impact on the case overall, but what it does is it lets them know that we're still thinking about them. We're actively, you know, working on their behalf. And then we also encourage them to give us a call 
um, at least every six to eight weeks to let us know about any updates in their medical treatment. But keeping in touch with clients for so long during this process when they've got so much else going on in their lives trying to fight for these benefits is very difficult. Michael, you've been running your firm for a little while, but you decided to take on a shareholder earlier this year. Can you kind of go through that decision-making process and, and tell us why you made that decision? Yeah. So at the beginning of this year, I mean, we I started talking to Andrew November. He joined my office officially in April. We'd been talking for a long time about how great it would be to work together. He had been working for a competitor for a number of years. And what I realized, and this was about a year and a half ago, was that my growth was kind of maxed out where it was at. I was handling not just as many cases as I think one attorney can handle. I think I was probably handling more cases than one attorney could handle. And I was also seeing as a result of that, I wasn't able to spend as much time on the marketing um, and the management of the office because I was so busy doing the work. But I also, in the back of my mind, thought that because of my own, you know, limitations with training somebody, it would not make sense for me to just go out and hire an associate attorney because it would be difficult for me to train somebody that I trust from scratch. So I reached out to Andrew, um, who, again, you know, has been doing social security disability work for eight years for another law firm and said, you know, I'd like you to come and, and join. And what it's really allowed me to do is to regain my focus on growing the business and perfecting our systems. Because, you know, I can step out of the office and know that everything in the office is going the way that it should. I don't have to be there for my employees to be doing their work, or I don't have to worry that people are, are goofing off while I'm gone. I don't have to worry that the phone isn't being answered because not only do I have an excellent staff, but now I've got somebody else that's invested in the success of the practice. Um, without question, bringing somebody else into an established law firm, it's been a challenge for both of us because, you know, it's kind of a, it, at this point, Andrew is a shareholder more so in the new development of the firm as opposed to, you know, the business that I had already built beforehand, but just adjusting to the way that we work differently. You know, he's been working at another firm for so long that, you know, using my systems and the way that I work up cases and handle cases has been a little bit different than he was used to. But it's really been a great experience for both of us. We haven't had any blowouts. And, uh, you know, I, he's, he's somebody that I do enjoy spending time with. So I'm, I'm fortunate that he's, that he's been here. Michael, longtime listeners of the show know that one of my heroes is Dean Jackson, and he he offers a thought exercise for uh, entrepreneurs to think about. And that is that what would happen if you only got paid when your uh, client's case or your client's matter was over? In other words, you, you only got paid for your success. Now, it sounds like in the social security disability realm, that's exactly what happens. Talk to us a little bit about how that impacts your running of your firm and how you move your cases. Big time. Yes. We work only based on the, you know, positive results of the case. We work completely on contingency. It's kind of unique uh, how we, our fees are set. There's a uh, statutory fee that the federal government has. Um, we get paid a percentage of a client's back pay. And unless uh, we win their case, we don't get anything. And so 
that can certainly be very scary for me, especially when I see the, you know, when I, several years ago I was seeing the decline in the approval rating and realizing how much challenging it was going to be to win every case that, that we have. So we really have to go all in on these cases. You know, I can't settle for value or anything like that. I have to make sure that we're taking strong cases and we're working them up well and getting our clients ready for when we do go to court uh, so that I can get that successful outcome. What's been kind of interesting for me, and it's one thing that I'm working on quite a bit, is trying to perfect my intake process because through, you know, my disability intakes that the office does, we find other cases across, you know, a whole wide range of practice areas that I've been able to refer out and get co-counsel fees on, workers' compensation, personal injury, you know, medical malpractice cases. I've been really interested in mass torts lately. And so trying to use my volume intakes, my volume of intakes to translate into cases that I can refer out and get paid on where even though the disability cases are so challenging, I can at least pay for a lot of my expenses and hopefully make some money on top of that from referring other cases out. Another thing that we have in the office that this is new for the last year, we have uh, somebody who after somebody applies for social security disability and gets approved for benefits, um, eventually they become entitled to receive Medicare. So, you know, I had to get licensed and I've got somebody in the office who works with my clients after they get approved for social security to sign them up for their Medicare plans, which then uh, results in, you know, a, a residual payment coming to the office. Uh, and so that's, you know, presented its own unique challenges, but also rewards but so much of what I'm trying to do to keep, you know, a practice thriving in a struggling practice area is trying to find, you know, ancillary ways for for the office to make money even when, you know, not winning a disability case is challenging. Michael, I'm I'm really curious because you have such a large caseload. What systems do you have in place to manage that caseload? And I mean, for example, like do you have a, do you have a certain CRM that you use? Do you automate things? Just Talk about your systems you have in place to manage that type of a caseload. So I use a case management software that's called Needles, which, you know, to be honest, if I was starting a social security disability practice from scratch, it's probably not the first place that I would start. But, you know, kind of my history is unique in the sense that when I left that large firm that I'd been working for, I walked out the door with uh, several hundred files. I don't remember exactly how many. And so... The only way for me to avoid retyping all of that information into new case management software was just to basically copy all of the files in Needles and paste them into a new Needles, you know, user profile that had been established for my new firm. But one thing that, that, that's been excellent about Needles is the checklist features are wonderful. Needles really drives my entire practice. It tells us you know, when we're due to call a client, it tells us, um, you know, when it tracks when we need to follow up with Social Security to find out what's happening with the case if, some, if something has been too long. It tracks every step of our um, intake process. So there's reminders that automatically pop up for my intake specialist to make sure that she's followed up with, you know, new potential leads enough times before we eventually close out the file if, if the person's non-responsive. You know, it really sets all of the benchmarks for a disability case, which took us a lot of time. 
to really go through and make sure that it was comprehensive and we weren't missing any steps. But, you know, our case management software has been very helpful to us. What I'm, what I'm trying to do now is to get so much more of it to be automated where instead of us having to send a letter or call a client, which is kind of where things are at now, I want to get things to where when there's any type of status change in a case, needles can read that through, because Social Security has everything on, online now. So, you know, the, um, so the changes to a case can be scanned and read and hopefully sucked into the case management software. So then email can automatically go to a client updating them about what's going on with their case instead of one of my employees needing to physically pick up the phone or mail a letter. You know, there's a hidden cost anytime somebody sends a letter. You know, I, I ask people all the time, how much does it cost when you send a letter from the office? And their answer is, I don't know, 52 cents, 56 cents, whatever it costs for a stamp. But the answer for me is it's $7.52 or $7.56 because it's not just the cost of the stamp. It's the, it's the cost that I have in paying an employee to go print out an envelope, print off a letter, make sure that it's signed. And then even the time that it takes them to get back on task or move on to their next task after they, you know, got up and did all of that, it's really expensive when you've got to, you know, take all that extra time. So if we could do things in a more automated fashion, I think that that could really help us increase our volume and maybe even reduce our expenses, but certainly in the long haul, um, uh, increase volume while adding minimal expense to, to, the, to the office. Michael, you reached out to Tyson and I recently on the Facebook group and in a message about a really exciting opportunity. It looks like Tyson and you and I might be on a panel together in March of next year. We're excited about that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So for I'm a member of an organization that is called NADER, the National Association of Disability Representatives. It is a um, national group of attorneys as well as non-attorney representatives that assist people, uh, you know, through the disability process. And for a number of years, they've had me uh, speak at their different events on marketing topics. And I, re you know, I realized that their conference that they had mentioned me speaking at was going to be in St. Louis uh, coming up, and that the format that I'd been using to talk to them, which is basically just lecture style, was getting kind of old. So. Um, I thought that it would be a perfect opportunity to uh, hang out with you guys. So I uh, sent a message asking if you guys would be interested in doing it panel style. So what I was thinking we could do would be to, you know, have a moderator ask us some questions, give some, some feedback on commonly asked questions, then maybe pick out somebody from the audience to do kind of a first steps of a marketing action plan with them, ask them some questions about their practice. But then I thought what maybe could even step it up another notch would be if we could translate that presentation directly into a podcast, maybe even broadcast it on Facebook Live. Um, and then another thing that I thought that I haven't even presented to you guys yet, I don't know if this is the appropriate forum to do it, was I know there's been a lot of discussion in the Facebook group recently about how do you get backlinks. And I was thinking that maybe an excellent way for to get backlinks, this could be a little bit of an experiment, would be if the way that we chose who from the audience we would help with their marketing action plan would be to publicize beforehand where if you're interested in, in participating and, and 
you know, being the person that we interview and, and pick on to help them develop their own marketing plan would be to, you know, maybe do a blog post on their own website, which then linked back to our three firms. Because, you know, getting direct links from, you know, relevant sources and, you know, the, the people in the audience are all going to be, you know, it's the type of, of website that Google likes to see lawyers' websites being referred from. Maybe that's something that we could do that, that would help ourselves and be a nice case study. I love it. I, I don't know about you, Jimmy, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's very clever, and it's a nice little way to give us some Google juice. What do you think, Jimmy? Sounds great to me. Perfect. Yeah, I'll see if I can work that out and get that announced around and see if people want to apply to be picked on that way. But, you know, I, this this, organ, this conference usually has about 300 people, so there's definitely a good opportunity there for us to um, not only help people, but also do a little experiment to see how we can, you know, and it's, it's a marketing presentation. So it's a perfect point that we can make is while we're there to present and give you knowledge, look at what we're able to do by doing it. I love it. All right. So Mike, we are up against the time. So I want to, before I get to uh, the hacks and the tips of the week, do want to remind everybody to go to the Facebook page. It has remained closed, even though Jimmy, for a very short time, opened it up. It's, it's remained closed. So make sure you ask to join the Facebook group. Lots of great discussion going on there. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, which I'm assuming you do because you've listened to this point, make sure you go to iTunes and give us a five-star review or wherever you get your podcast. Jimmy, do you have your hack of the week? I do indeed. So, the boys and I and Amani watched a movie a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's been out for a while now on DVD. It's called The Founder. It's about Ray Kroc and basically how he went into business with the McDonald brothers and then how he sort of overtook the company. But the, there's a lot of good lessons in there, um, especially as you start to take on partners and for systemization. So a lot of the things we talk about get covered in that movie in a really interesting way. It's, it's a really good story. Good. Uh, it really is a good movie. It, it definitely will shape your opinion of Ray Kroc. Um, one way or the other, it's going to shape your opinion. Uh, different than the way you probably thought it, uh, you thought of him before. But, Michael, you, you listen to the podcast. You know that we ask our guests to give a tip of the week. Do you have a tip for us? Sure. I, I think that my tip of the week would be, and it was something that I referenced earlier, but I think it's really helpful for everybody that's trying to figure out how they're going to, you know, uh, implement a marketing action plan to really focus on where are your clients going. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about, I've seen posts and heard conversation on, on, on the podcast about how SEO is dead. That's kind of the, the hot new phrase that I've heard. And, and, I, and I don't know that I totally agree with that, but I definitely think that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there if you just really try and visualize where your client's going, how can you intersect with them? And it's not only on the internet, you know, in, in actual daily life, where are they going? Where do they eat? Uh, who, who are their friends? And you want to position yourself to be in as many of those places as possible so that when a client is, is you know, asking around for who's a good attorney or they're consuming information on you know, uh, selecting an attorney, you're, you're the person that's top of mind in as many places as possible. But first, you've got to identify who your perfect client is and then be where they are. I love it. Great piece of advice. All right. My tip of the week is a, a phone app that I used uh, two, let's see, two days ago, and it's called Filmmaker Pro. 
and I upgraded, uh, spent 20 bucks. It's a $20 a year uh, plan, but it is super easy to record and edit videos from your phone. You can add in text, you can add in images, you can add in music, it, you name it, you can add it in. So it's for videos that whenever we're actually, I, we do them from our phone and we want to get them posted really quick as opposed to sending them to Nadish to edit, we actually do it ourselves from our phone. It's a really cool app. Um, it took me, I did a, I don't know, a five-minute video. It took me about two to five minutes. I don't know what it was. How long, it wasn't very long to actually edit the video. I threw in some music. I threw in some text. I threw in our logo, and I was done. So super easy to use. Filmmaker Pro, I recommend it. Um, you could use the basic free version, and you can still add music. You can still add text. Um, there's just you're limited as to there's advanced text that you can use. There's more uh, a larger music library to use with the upgraded version. That's why I upgraded. But um, either one would be perfect for what any any of us use. So that is my tip of the week. You guys got anything else? I don't think so. Thank you so much for having me. It was great having you on, Michael. Thanks so much. Yeah, Michael, thanks for coming on. We, we really appreciate it. We look forward to speaking with you in March, and we'll talk to you, you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.